would invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Jonah. As we continue on in our study of the book, we're looking today at the end of chapter 1 and through the rest of chapter 2. So I'll begin reading in chapter 1, verse 17, and we'll read down through chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again, again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deeps surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes so that we might see what you want us to see and to understand what you want us to understand to believe what we need to believe from this portion of your word. Father, take it and press it deeply into us so that we might be changed into the people that you desire us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may have heard the supposed true story of what happened to James Bartley. James Bartley was an Englishman who lived from 1870 to 1909. In 1891, he went on a whaling expedition off the Falkland Islands in the South Atlantic Ocean. Bartley got out of the larger whaling boat that he was in and into a smaller boat so that he could do some patrolling out a little bit further. And while he was doing that, his smaller boat was attacked by a large whale. Bartley was thrown overboard into the ocean and the whale swallowed Bartley whole. His fellow sailors assumed that he had drowned, but they actually caught the whale. 36 hours later at port, the sailors began to skin the whale. Eventually, they got to the whale's stomach and cut it open. And there was Bartley, unconscious but still alive, his skin having been bleached by the gastric juices in the whale's stomach. Bartley died 18 years later. And on his tombstone in England, it says, James Bartley, a modern-day Jonah. Now, although that story appeared in a number of papers at the time, in St. Louis and New York and even in Paris, it is almost certainly not a true story. 
There were several investigations into the details of that story, and those investigations showed lots of inconsistencies and inaccuracies, and even the wife of the captain of the whaling vessel said that it did not happen. But that story has been told over and over again since that time as by Christians as a true story. Even one of the reformed uh, current uh, commentators, trusted commentators that I was looking at this week, put forth this story as a true story. Christians want this story to be true because then maybe it would give some uh, credibility to the story of Jonah. It would make the story of Jonah more plausible. Most liberal Bible scholars and commentators and even some more conservative scholars uh, hold that the story of Jonah can't be a true story. It can't be a true story because of the part that we're reading about today. A whale swallowing a man. It just can't be true. But also they believe it can't be a true story because of the prayer that we read about in chapter 2. Given all that's happened with Jonah up until this point, it just doesn't seem believable to some. But most of those who don't think that Jonah was a true story have a hard time believing in a God who is completely sovereign over every aspect of creation, including death. The God of the Bible surely would have no problem providing a big enough fish to swallow Jonah whole and then preserving him in the belly of the fish so that a lesson could be learned. The God of the Bible can certainly do that. But the focus here in this passage, the focus of the book of Jonah is not meant to be on the fish. The focus is is on what God is doing, what God is accomplishing through his sovereign purposes. The focus is on God's relentless pursuit of showing grace and mercy to undeserving sinners. And as we read Jonah's prayer here in chapter 2, it seems like Jonah is starting to understand that. So, today... Let's look at this portion of the story in Jonah's prayer and let's see what we can learn about these three things. Now, if you're an outline person, you'll notice it's not in the bulletin this week. So here it is. I'm giving it to you right now. It's very simple. Why Jonah prayed, how Jonah prayed, and what Jonah prayed. Let's look at those three things. Why Jonah prayed, how Jonah prayed, and what he prayed. So first of all, why Jonah prayed? If you've been with us through our study of the book so far, then you will remember that since the very third verse of the book, Jonah has been trying to flee the presence of the Lord. He's been trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. He's been running away from God's calling on him to go to Nineveh and to proclaim the good news of the Lord God Almighty. And the author of the book of Jonah has been describing this Jonah's attempt to get away from the presence of the Lord as Jonah going down, down, down. Remember, he went down to the city of Joppa. And when he got there, he paid a fare and he went down into a ship. And during the storm that the Lord hurled on the sea, Jonah was down in the inner part of the ship asleep. And then, of course, the sailors threw Jonah down into 
the sea. And now, as we come to this next portion of the word, we see Jonah going down again. Look, just look at the language that we read about here. At the end of verse 2, he says that he was in the belly of Sheol. That means the belly of the, the, the realm of the dead. He was down in the realm of the dead. The beginning of verse 3, he talks about being cast into the deep. The beginning of verse 5, he talks about the deep surrounding him. The beginning of verse 6, he talks about weeds wrapping around his head at the roots of the mountains. It doesn't get any lower than that. And again in verse 6, he talks about going down to the land whose bars or whose gates closed in on him forever. All of this is meant to give us this picture of the dire circumstances that Jonah was in. And Jonah was starting to understand that. Jonah was in distress. He was in one of the deepest and darkest moments and places of his life. That's why Jonah prayed. That's why Jonah cried out to the Lord. He was at the end of himself. He was at the end of his ability and his resolve. There was nothing that Jonah could do to help himself or to get out of the mess that he was in. And death was closing in around him. He knew that if he was going to survive, he needed help from outside of himself. So he prayed. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, he said. I want you to notice and remember that Jonah up until this point had been prayerless. When the Lord reached out to Jonah and told Jonah what his plan was for him to go to Nineveh. Jonah didn't pray at that moment. He didn't even wrestle with God at that moment. He got up and tried to get away from God. And as he was getting away from God and trying to get to Joppa to get on a ship, he didn't stop to pray that the Lord would enable him to have safe travel. And when they were on the sea and the sailors were praying to their false gods, Jonah wasn't praying. He was asleep in the inner part of the boat. And even when the sailors were about to throw him overboard into the storm, Jonah didn't pray. But now, Jonah was at the end of himself. He understood that his situation was dire. That his distress was significant. And so he called out to the Lord. I would suggest to you that there's a lesson for us self-sufficient, independent, full of resolve and determination Christians. We tend to be prayerless until we come to the end of ourselves. We often fail to call out to the Lord when we're on the way down. It's not until we're at the lowest, at the, at the darkest, at the deepest distress that we will call on the Lord. And we shouldn't be waiting that long. The Lord God Almighty is our Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us. And He has given us the gift of prayer, communicating with our Father in Heaven. We should cry out to the Lord. There's another reminder here for us, another lesson for us. And that is as we just think about what's happening to Jonah in these, mo- in these moments. The Lord often uses what sometimes are called severe mercies as a way of getting our attention to teach us, to to shape us, to bring us back to him. And the book of Jonah is the story of the Lord's 
unrelenting pursuit of Jonah and God's good plan for Jonah to go to Nineveh. The Lord will often use trials and challenges and hard things to get our attention and to wake us up and to teach us. And when you find yourself in one of those moments, then you must remind yourself that the Lord loves you. That He wants and will do what is best for you. And He will not let you go. This is why Jonah was praying. He was beginning to understand how dire the situation was that he was in. But I want you to notice how Jonah prayed. And there are several things here about how Jonah prayed. First of all, notice what the author tells us about how Jonah prayed. He went to the right place. Verse 1, Jonah prayed who? To who? To the Lord his God. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He prayed to Yahweh. In other words, Jonah went to the place that he needed to go. He prayed to the God that he was in covenant with. The one who was faithful to him no matter what. And you can see it again at the beginning of verse 2. And Jonah in his own words says, I called out to the Lord, to Yahweh. Jonah went to the source of all true help and power and grace. He went to the covenant-keeping, faithful God. He went to the right place. But now I want you to notice that he didn't just go to the right place. He also used really good words. Did you notice that his prayer here in general sounds a lot like a psalm? Now, he wasn't quoting a particular psalm for the Psalter, but the themes of Jonah's prayer and even the wording of his prayer are found in a number of different psalms in God's word. We don't know much about Jonah's upbringing. We don't know how devout his parents were. We don't know, did they do a good job of teaching him the psalms as he was growing up? But what we do know is that he was a prophet and he spoke God's word to God's people and even to the Gentiles. And as we see Jonah praying here, he is calling out to the Lord from his distress. And the words that he uses come from the Psalms. Obviously, Jonah had spent time reading the Psalms and praying the Psalms, perhaps singing the Psalms and meditating on the Psalms. And in the moment of his deepest distress, in the moment of imminent death, Jonah called, recalled God's word and used that to help formulate his prayer. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a good lesson for us as well. Listen to the words of commentator Rick Phillips. Listen, listen to how he encourages us to use the Psalms in our prayers. He says, Christians who make it their practice to stroll frequently through the garden of the Psalms, who make a practice of singing the Psalms and committing them to memory, will be well repaid in their hours of darkness, doubt, and despair with words fitted just for their troubled situation. Words designed to take their faltering faith by the hand and lead it once again to the Lord. The Lord has given us this wonderful gift. He has given us His Word. And He's given us the Psalms in particular. And it can be so useful to us in our moments of distress. We need to get better and we need to get more in the practice of praying the Lord's word back to him. 
of using the Psalms to help formulate our own prayers, especially when we don't know what to pray, especially when we find ourselves in those times of darkness and doubt and distress. The Psalms contain the full range of emotions and situations that we experience. But I want you to notice one last thing about how Jonah prayed. Not once in his prayer did he blame the Lord for the situation that he was in. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But not only did he not blame the Lord, notice he didn't even ask the Lord to rescue him. At least not directly. Not that it would have been wrong for him to do that. But I want you to notice that Jonah's prayer was focused on acknowledging what the Lord was doing. His focus was on what the Lord was accomplishing. He was focused on the fact that the Lord deserved to be glorified and worshipped. No matter his circumstances. How often is that the focus of our prayers? How often, especially when we find ourselves in the midst of distress and darkness and difficulties, do we praise the Lord and thank Him for His goodness to us? This is how Jonah prayed. He went to the right place, he used good words, and he focused on praising the Lord. But lastly, I want us to look at what Jonah prayed. A little bit of a more deeper dive into the specifics of what he prayed. First of all, notice that Jonah prayed, recognizing and acknowledging how dire the situation was that he was in. Look at, again, look at the language that he used. He recognized that he was in the belly of Sheol, the belly of the realm of the dead, not a good place to be. He acknowledged that the flood was surrounding him, that the waves and the billows were passing over him in verse 3. The picture of being in a watery grave. Notice he says in verse 4 that he had been driven away from the presence of the Lord. And do you see the irony? The very thing that Jonah thought he could do and wanted to do to get away from the presence of the Lord. Now Jonah is understanding is a bad thing to do. In verse 5 he talks about the waters closing in on him as to take his life. He's on, he's on the verge of death. And he's not in a good place in his relationship with the Lord. Verse 6, he says he's locked away in some far off place and there's no way that he can get out. He's completely and completely incapable of saving himself from what, his, what he is dealing with. And I want you to notice lastly, as Jonah is recognizing the situation that he's in, notice again in verse 3, he recognizes it is God that is doing it. You see what he says in verse 3? Speaking to the Lord, praying to the Lord, he says, You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah is coming to terms with how dire his situation is, that the Lord God Almighty is the one that is causing these things and his difficulty. Secondly, Jonah was... Remembering that he was not only in the dire situation, but that he was also in a relationship with the Lord. He was in covenant with the Lord God Almighty. You see that again in verse 1. He prayed not just to anyone, not to false gods that the sailors prayed to. He prayed to the Lord, his God. And in verse 2, he called out to the Lord Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, the one he was in a relationship with. And in verse 7, he says, as life was about to leave, leave him, he remembered the Lord. 
So as he's coming to terms and coming to grips with how grim and how dire his situation is, he is also remembering that he is in relationship with the Lord God Almighty. And as he reflects on that, notice thirdly that Jonah begins to look to the Lord's redeeming grace. Now, where do we see that in his prayer? Where do we see Jonah looking to the Lord's redeeming grace? I would say it's in two places. It's in verse 4 and verse 7. And do you notice in both of those verses, he specifically mentions the temple. Why did he remember the temple back in Jerusalem? Why would that have come to his mind as he remembered that he was in relationship with the Lord God Almighty? The temple was the most important and central place in the religious life of God's people in the Old Testament. The temple is where the Lord met with his people. The temple is where, uh, where the sacrifices were made. The temple is where on the Day of Atonement the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the sacrificial blood on the mercy, mercy seat. The temple is where God's people heard about and visibly saw the picture of blood being shed for their sins. The temple is where they saw the picture of a substitute, the picture of a future Redeemer whose blood would be the final sacrifice. The temple is where they saw God's grace to them displayed clearly of God's steadfast love to them. That's why he actually mentions steadfast love in verse 8. So in the midst of his distress, Jonah remembers and he looks to God's redeeming grace. It's as if he's saying, no matter what happens to me, no matter how far I have fallen down, I know that there is grace for me. Fourthly, Jonah acknowledged the futility and the vanity of the idols that we have in our lives. That's what he says in verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And I wonder, was Jonah at this point starting to understand, starting to realize the idols that he had in his heart? Why didn't he want to go to Nineveh? Jonah valued convenience and comfort more than obeying the Lord. Going to Nineveh would not have been convenient and it certainly would not have been comfortable. And Jonah also had an idol of being worried about what other people thought. He was worried about what the Ninevites would think about him, but also about what his own people would think about him. And perhaps Jonah is wrestling with his own idols at this point, recognizing that anything that we make more important to our, than our relationship with the Lord is vain. And as we love it, we are forsaking the hope of the steadfast love of the Lord. Lastly, I want you to see what Jonah prayed at the very end of his prayer in verse 9. I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And notice he's almost using the exact same prayer of thanksgiving that the sailors used after the Lord had rescued them. No matter what is going to happen to him, Jonah is giving praise and glory and thanksgiving and worship to the Lord. And he is acknowledging that salvation belongs to Yahweh. It is the Lord's to give. It originates with Him. He is the one who accomplishes salvation. Jonah knows that there's nothing he can do to earn salvation. It is 
what belongs to the Lord. Jonah knows there's nothing that he can do to keep his salvation. It belongs to the Lord. And so as we reflect on what Jonah was praying, what are some lessons that we can get from what he prayed as we finish today? Well, the first is this. Uh, the fact that the salvation belongs to the Lord is meant to be an incredible source of hope and encouragement and joy to God's people. Our salvation is not something that is achieved by us or sustained by us. Our, our salvation is nothing that we can do to earn it or to keep it. Our salvation from start to finish belongs to the Lord if, God's, if getting God's grace or staying in God's grace was up to our efforts, we would be doomed. But because salvation belongs to the Lord, because it's achieved by the Lord, and because it's preserved by the Lord, we know it's something that will last forever. And we know it's something by which God gets all the glory. A second lesson for us as we reflect on what Jonah prayed. It gives us an understanding of how we are to view those seasons when we go through what is sometimes referred to as the Lord's fatherly discipline of us. You know that language, fatherly discipline? It, it comes in ways from the book of Hebrews. And listen to what the author to the Hebrews wrote in chapter 12. He said, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons or sons and daughters? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as, a, as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, disciplines us for our good. He disciplines us so that we can share His holiness. Discipline from the Lord can be painful, it can be unpleasant in the midst of it, but later it brings us the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The Lord's discipline in our lives proves that we are His children. It is, it is God's grace to us. It shows that He loves and cares for us. It brings us back from our moments of going down and down and down. So brothers and sisters in Christ, when you find yourself in the midst of a season of being under the discipline of the Lord, 
remember that it comes from a place of love and a place of grace. And be reflective. What is the Lord doing? Why is He doing this? What is He teaching me and what do I need to learn? And lastly, one last thing that we learn from what Jonah prayed, it is this. No matter how dark and distressed our situation might be, we must always do what Jonah did. Look to the temple. Or, or rather, for us now, we look to the one that the temple foreshadowed, the Lord Jesus Christ. We look to the cross. We look to His work, His life and His death and His resurrection because that gives us proof of God's undeserved, unrelenting and unending love for us. As we look to the cross, as we look to our Savior, it proves the promise that God has made to us that He will never let us go, that He will never forsake us, and that He will always do what is for our best. Let's pray together. Father, it's relatively easy for us in the abstract to sit here and think about Jonah's life and the lessons that we ought to take from it. It's much more difficult when we're in the midst of the darkness ourselves. When we are in situations of great distress. And so, Father, I pray for each and every one of us that this would not just be theoretical, but through the work of your Spirit, you would press these things into our lives in very practical ways. That as we go through those seasons, as we go through those times and challenges and difficulties, that these principles and lessons that we can get from Jonah would be at our fingertips, that you would bring them to our minds and that we would apply them into our situations so that we might glorify you through them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.